So this, this uh, week we are beginning this series, or continuing this discussion uh, on marriage. And this week, you know, talking about marriage is, is, is a lot to cover. <laughs> I was thinking about it this last week. I mean, we could, we, could talk, we could come and talk about marriage every Sunday for years and still not cover it all. There's so much to it. So I just wanted to say that as we begin this conversation about marriage and talking about it, that, that I realize that there's a lot more to this. And I, I'm going to be talking some about Scripture and how God calls us to care for our spouse. Um, but also I realize that, too, this might sound a little too simplistic, and I don't mean it to, and I don't mean to take marriage lightly, but I think we need to at least talk about it. So the first week... Today, this morning, we're going to be talking about marriage and talking about especially um, when marriage is difficult, when our marriage doesn't feel so healthy. What are some things we can do? What sort of guidance does God give us? But next week, we'll be talking some about what marriage looks like or ways that we can keep it good when things are going well. So this morning, I mentioned we'll be talking about marriage, uh, especially when it's hard, especially when things aren't going well. I think it's important for us to talk about this in church because having a marriage that's not going well can really feel awkward in church. I mean, we, we put such a high value on marriage and family that if your marriage isn't picture perfect, it can feel really awkward at church. And I want to just, at first, just acknowledge that. Because so often, you know, it, we, people feel like they can't talk about trouble in their marriage at church because of the looks that they'll get or the things that people might say. Um, but I wanted to at least acknowledge it here. And hopefully give some, some biblical, some, some direction or some help from God. Because there is help. I mean, it's not just quick fixes, but there is help. And I was asking Tracy, I said, you know, Tracy, if, if you could tell one thing, or if you could talk about one thing for a marriage, what would you talk about? And she had some great suggestions. She talked about, well, communication is an important one. Or, or um, money how do you handle money? Or, or um, talking about even sex. She didn't say that one, but that's another popular one that people bring up. That's a, a problem area in marriages. Can you guys still hear me okay? Okay. Um, but one thing that I've been thinking about um, and praying about is forgiveness. How important that is in a marriage, especially a marriage that is struggling, is forgiveness. About the source of Forgiveness. How do we forgive? Forgiveness is not just inherently in us. Actually, I think justice or vengeance is more what we're used to. But how do we forgive in a marriage, especially in a marriage that's struggling? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, song. If you've ever had this question or wondered about it. I mean, there's this connection with forgiving, actually with following Jesus and forgiving. There's... There's this connection, and Jesus makes it throughout the Gospels of following him and forgiving others. But where does this forgiveness come from? How do we forgive if maybe our spouse doesn't seem so deserving of it? Where does forgiveness come from? What's its source? I mean, is it just up to us to work harder, to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and forgive? That's why I love the Word of God. And if you want to, with, with, turn with me to Colossians. Um, Colossians 3. You can also look on this sheet here. There's, I just have, I 
I made a mistake. There's only just Colossians 3.13, but I actually want to read Colossians 3.12-17. Um, to 17. So if you want to, to look at that sheet, you can. Great. I've got a note over Colossians. Some of you might recognize this actually comes from our relational covenant and this passage. We, so listen to this. So, this is, so Paul's speaking to the church and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then if you're following me here, it's this chapter or this verse 13 where he says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want to, if you just have this white sheet, I just want to draw your attention to the last part. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That is the basis for everything. That's where it comes down to, is forgiving as the Lord forgave us. There's this, this conviction I have that the more we realize that we've been forgiven, the more forgiving we will be. Let me just say that again. The more we realize that we have been forgiven by our Father in Heaven, the more forgiving we will be. The thing is, we live in a time where I think we are tempted to take grace for granted. We live in a time where people who are constantly trying to convince themselves that I'm not that bad. I'm actually pretty good. I mean, some of us, we know what our life was like before Jesus, before his grace took a hold of our lives. And we can look back and we can say, you know, I know what I was like. And when I'm honest, I still know the things that are in me. And I am grateful for grace. But we live in a time when people try to convince themselves, you know, I'm actually pretty good. I mean, I don't know if you've had many conversations like this, but I've had people who are, um, who are not part of any church or anything who will say, you know, I don't know that I really need this. I don't know if I really need Jesus or God. I mean, I, I pay my taxes. I don't break any major laws. I mean, sure, I speed or maybe I kind of roll through a stop sign. But, you know, the big stuff, I, I don't break any laws. I'm actually kind of generous, too. I, I occasionally give some money to people, to some charities. I occasionally do that. So why do I even need this Jesus? I'm, I'm a pretty good person. You can see how that's taking grace for granted, not really appreciating the depth of our brokenness and the things that go on inside us that maybe we don't ever say, but we still think and do. And I think, too, you know, we can sort of look at that, oh, you know, as someone who's outside the church, but I see it even among Christians, even among us, at times when we take grace for granted. You know, we still know what we're supposed to say. I know I'm a sinner and God has saved me. Like, we know that's part of the Bible when we say that. But sometimes I think that we still catch ourselves thinking, or sometimes we don't catch ourselves thinking this, that, well, I pay my tithe. Actually, I pay more than my tithe. I go to church every Sunday. I serve on this committee. I give this money to charity. I'm actually a pretty good person. I think God's going to be pretty happy with me. And we can begin to take grace for granted. The thing is, the more we understand how God has been, the more how we understand how graceful, how gracious God has been to us, the more we'll be willing to share grace with others. I'm saying this to help us see that, you know, there's, 
there's a big gap between, between who God has called us to be and who we are. And I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm just trying to speak honestly. I mean, we look at our lives and we look at the times, like the motives that we've had. Those things, those things that we don't say but we think. <laughs> or sometimes those things that we, that we would never tell anybody else that we did. Those things still happen in our lives. Even though we say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I, I'm, I go to church all the time. It still happens in our lives. And we can take grace for granted. The more we understand how gracious God has been in our lives, the more gracious we will be. That's why I put this other passage in here. If you look, there's, there's actually two pieces of scripture here. There's one from Romans. This is from Romans 5. If you want to turn your Bibles to that, or if you just want to read along with me. Paul speaking to the church in Rome. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we, will, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but also we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I say this because to help us realize it's while we were still enemies with God that God sent his son to save us. I mean, you think, well, that was, you know, the time of Jesus. What about now? Even when we were still busy rejecting God, rebelling against God, undeserving of God's grace, God was pursuing us. Jesus was pursuing us. Loving us and dying for us long before we even considered him. There was a, a certain man. He was a well-to-do executive of a huge charity. This charity um, it specialized in providing money for, for uh, research and for surgeries for kids with disabilities, actually with terminal disabilities, terminal diseases. And they even, not only did they provide the surgeries and kind of the practical part, they also um, provided funds for um, like, kind of like make-a-wish sort of thing. So where they would help these kids have some amazing experience before they died. And actually in the foyer they have this picture that says, um, it says for Tim. And there's actually this picture of Tim. And he's, he's at the ballpark. He's there in his wheelchair his baseball cap on over his, his, his um, bald head. And there's a, he's sitting there with his favorite baseball player. He says at the bottom, it says, we do this for Tim, let us never forget. So this father runs this organization. He's, he worked hard at it. He loves it. He used to work at a secular company and he was a, an executive and then wanted his faith to line up with his job. And so he took this position running this charity. 
It seemed like he had everything. I mean, his, this amazing job that paid him well, a beautiful wife, two amazing daughters. But there's one thing that kind of didn't work out right. It's his, his younger daughter. It seemed like she always wanted more. It seemed like she always had her eye on just a little bit more. No matter how much he provided, and he provided a lot, she always wanted a little bit more. And she would kind of go through careers and stuff like that. And he thought, you know, maybe if I can get her a job at this charity, she can see this idea of working for something bigger than yourself. So he got her a job. And she did great. She actually went through the ranks. She got promoted and did a great job at it. Until one time she asked if she could have more uh, clearance, uh, more access to the books to do her job a little bit better. And she was denied that from, from her superiors. So she went to her dad, which you can imagine what kind of mess that creates. But she went to her dad and talked with him. And he thought, you know, I know my daughter. I know her. I'm not blind to how she is and the way she does things. But maybe if I can trust her with this, maybe if I can trust her with this, she'll grow into it. She'll kind of mature into it. So he gave her um, the access. And not only that, he vouched for her uh, to the board. It was within a week that she was gone. Didn't show up for work. Gone. And she had embezzled $30 million from the company. And you can imagine the fallout of this. The organization is, is stunned. They're stunned. They're trying to, to handle, to, to deal with the fallout of this. The donors who donate to this are withdrawing because they see what's happened. There's investigations and audits. None of the surgeries start. Actually, all the surgeries stop. These kids who need help. And the father is heartbroken. Now the board, they, they have to try and to mitigate the damage. They love this guy. They love what he's done, but they have to fire him. Not only that, not only do they have to fire him, but they have to actually, for the sake of the stakeholders, they feel that they have to actually press charges against him. For embezzlement and fraud. All the things that this father had been working for came crashing down. The father was beside himself. He was hurt and betrayed and angry, but he still couldn't help wishing that his daughter was still there. He still loved her. The trial came and went. The father did everything he could to cooperate and provide, but he would not condemn his daughter. After he had spent five years in prison for what he'd done or what he didn't do, bearing the responsibility, when he got out, he did the best he could with his wife to put things back together. And it's hard for a convicted felon to get work. They did the best they could. Lived in this tiny little home, Years went by. They got by. Until one day he saw this person walking down the street. Because he used to sit there all the time watching down the road. He used to sit there watching down the road thinking of what he would say to his daughter. 
You can imagine what he would say after what she had done. When he saw her come and push through the gate, he jumped out of his seat, ran down the steps, and threw his arms around her. And she tried to to work out this apology that she had rehearsed time and time again. He didn't hear any of it. All he could think of was all these times he's been waiting to see his daughter again. He yelled to his wife, call the neighbors. Call the neighbors and put on our best dinner. This daughter whom was dead is alive. My daughter whom I'm lost has been found. And they began to celebrate. If this is how a human father could live, how much more our Father in Heaven. Tell this parable so that we would again hear how gracious God has been with us, what it meant for God, what it means for God to be gracious with us. And I know maybe we can try and justify and say, well, I've never stolen $30 million from God. But we still reject God. We still try and do things our own way. And yet God is still gracious with us. When we begin to understand how gracious God has been with us, it helps us to be gracious with others, especially with our spouse. Paul goes on to talk about more. He says, bear with one another. Bear with one another. He says, forgive every little thing. You know those tiny little idiosyncrasies that are kind of cute in the beginning and then really annoying? He says, forgive those. Those things that that you used to think were, were great and now they drive you crazy. Forgive those. Keep forgiving. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Now I know that you have heard this before. You don't have to show your hands, but how many of you think you've, how many of you have heard this before? You know, forgive as God has forgiven you in church. Oh, you can wash your hands. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> how many of you could probably pe- preach a sermon about it if you had to? <laughs> yeah. Thing is, we know this. We know that God has forgiven us. And we know that we're supposed to forgive as God has forgiven us. It's doing it. That's the hard part. It's hard. It's not knowing to, I mean, knowing to forgive our spouses. We know this. But doing it, that's the hard part. Especially if your marriage feels like hell right now. That's the hard part, is forgiving. I feel called to give some practical advice here or some practical guidance from the Word of God. But I also feel uneasy about it. Because I know that some of you are here right now, and your marriage is really struggling. Things are especially hard. And I don't don't mean to make light of it. But I know this, that that there's this connection with grace and forgiveness. So there's this thing that I wanted to say that to begin forgiving, 
You know, if your marriage feels hard and if it feels hopeless, and maybe you feel like getting up and walking out right now, I ask you to just stick here for just a minute. I've been praying for you this week. Because if you feel that forgiveness is hopeless, we serve an amazing God who does amazing things, who is gracious. So the first thing that, if I can just say this, the first thing is begin forgiving. And I use that word carefully, begin. Because I, can know, I know how it can feel. I mean, my, my first marriage ended in divorce. I know what it can feel like to try and forgive when you've been betrayed or hurt. You feel like you can't. There's just too much that's happened. Too many things that have been said. Not enough of the right things that, have been, that, that haven't been said. The things that have been done. You feel like you can't. I think sometimes we have the misperception that forgiveness is an event. It's one big thing that we do all at once. And if you have the strength or the faith to do that, bless you, keep doing it. But for a lot of us, it's a process. Most of us, it's a process. It's tiny little steps. Forgiving tiny bits at a time. Sometimes it's just the willingness to forgive someday. That's the start. You've heard that saying, forgive and forget, right? That's a great saying. I don't know many people who do that, especially with the big stuff. I mean, it happens with small stuff. I'm grateful. Like, Tracy doesn't remember how many times that she has uh, called me up here in the afternoon and asked me to pick up milk at the superette, and I get home, and she says, where's the milk? And I slowly turn around and get back in the truck <laughs> and go back to superette. She doesn't remember all those times. Okay, maybe that's bigger than I thought. <laughs> we can forget small stuff like that. It's the big stuff that I think it's impossible for us. We just, it's not that we can just stop knowing it, stop remembering it. We can't just choose it. But we can choose to forgive, to begin forgiving the process. You know, maybe it's been two days. This thing has been building up. Maybe it's been 20 years. Today is the day to begin, or to begin again, forgiving. I mean, think about the alternative of not forgiving, of holding a grudge, of resenting, of bitterness. It's like a cancer that eats away at your marriage. And not just your marriage, it eats away at you, at people you and your spouse. So that's where we begin. We begin with forgiving. The other thing that I would say too is that we stay in the process. We keep forgiving. Because you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to quit because it's going to be hard. I mean, especially if it's, this has been going on for a while and things are really broken, it's going to be hard to forgive. And when you do, your spouse might not understand it. They might actually think this is a new tactic. And they might become really defensive. Or sometimes when we forgive people, there's this, I don't understand it, but this feeling of shame that comes, people feel ashamed of what they've done, what they have done, and they become even more aggressive, even more defensive. And it seems to go exactly the opposite of what you intended. And you're going to want to quit. 
stay in it. Keep forgiving. I think of the words uh, Nicholas Walterstorff said that it's not so much about forgiving and forgetting as it is about forgiving and forgoing. Forgoing retaliation. Forgoing retribution. Forgoing bitterness. Forgoing resentment. We can't forget, especially the big stuff. But we can forgo. We can keep choosing grace. Like I said, what's the alternative? Anger. Anger over time turns into bitterness and resentment. It kills a marriage. It kills your marriage and it will kill you. There's a, I've been reading this book, What's So Amazing About Grace, by Philip Yancey, uh, for the last couple of weeks. There's some amazing stories of grace in there. And there's this one he tells about this family that he knows. In 1898, uh, it's like over 100 years ago, this woman, Daisy, her father was an alcoholic and an angry drunk. He would terrify the children, hit his wife, and then one day in a drunken rage, he sends his wife, he tells her to leave, he just sends her out. And to the kid's astonishment, she leaves, and there's Daisy talks about the image of her mom walking down the driveway with her bags and the kids stuck with the parent or stuck with their father. She says, over the years, all the kids go to live with, the, with their mom, but Daisy stays with her dad and she hates him for it. She hates him for what he did to their family. Over time, her dad, he got sober. I think, he, I think it says in the story he um, was connected with AA. And he received God's grace. He got sober. And he started going around the family and making, um, trying to reconcile with each of his children and his grandchildren. And it's, I think if I'm right, it says that he reconciled with all of them, except for Daisy. She wouldn't talk to him. She wouldn't be reconciled. She was that angry, that bitter. Eventually her dad, because he became sick and ill, he moved in with her sister, with Daisy's sister. They lived... I think it said a few blocks down the street. She had to walk by her dying father to go to the store, and she refused to talk to him. That was her relationship with her dad. That unforgiveness. The hard thing is it even worked out in her own family. She was married herself, and she had six children. She said she used to sit on the couch with a cold press on her head, screaming at her children, saying, I wish I'd never had you. And the effect that it had on her kids. She wasn't an alcoholic. I mean, there was no way there was going to be any alcohol in her house. But her ungrace, her bitterness seeped into her family. She had a daughter, Margaret. this ungrace passed to. Margaret doesn't speak with her mom, Daisy, because of how all the things that happened when she was a kid. But Margaret had her own family. She had a son whose name was Michael. He was a teen during the 60s, drugs and sex. And, I mean, and she was so furious with him, 
so fierce with him that she said, I never want to speak to you again. He was a hard, he was a hard teenage son. But she said, I never want to talk to him again. And she got what she wanted. He left his mom. And they never talked. Now, Michael, he kind of got cleaned up after a while and he had lots of different relationships. Women would come and go until he met Sue. And he thought things were going to finally... He remembers telling Philip uh, Yancey that Sue's the one. She's, she's my soulmate. And then Yancey talks about how he... One of his last conversations with Michael has talking about Sue and how they'd just gotten off the phone with her because they were finalizing the divorce, um, the, the details of their divorce. And he ended by saying, I hate her and I never want to see her again. You see how this resentment comes, how it trickles down through the family. Daisy's father, an alcoholic, and Daisy passing it on to Margaret, Margaret passing it on to Michael, Michael passing it on to Sue. This ungrace, this anger and rage. When we don't forgive, that's what happens to us. When we don't forgive in our marriage, it erodes our marriage and we pass it on to our kids. It's important that we forgive and that we keep on forgiving. So we begin just somewhere to forgive. Even if it's beginning with God, help me to forgive. And then we keep on forgiving. We stay in the process even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, because the alternative is death. And that's the third thing I would say is that we keep praying. We keep praying, especially when it's hard. We keep praying, God, even if it's praying, Lord, help me to someday want to forgive. That's at least beginning the process. Maybe things are so hard and you're so hurt that forgiveness seems like an impossibility. Maybe just begin praying, God, at least make it a possibility for me. Or maybe things are going better for you and you can say, Lord, help me to forgive. I'm really upset about what happened this week. Help me to forgive. When we get stuck, when we get angry, when we want to quit, keep praying. Begin the process, stay in the process, and pray. Now each week we talk about doing one thing. Doing one thing this week. And we do that on purpose because we constantly want to take the gospel that we know and translate it into the gospel that we live. We want to keep translating this good news into the way that we live. And so I want you to do one thing this week. Begin the process of forgiving. For those of you that are in a great relationship, maybe this might be a freebie for you this week. And you're like, great, I can do that. That's one of the easiest Sundays I've had. Bless you, do that. For those of you who are in a really hard place right now, your marriage feels like hell on earth. I want you to begin the process or continue the process of forgiving. This could be a watershed moment. This could be a make or break moment for you. And I don't mean to, to, I don't mean to give false hope. But it could be an amazing beginning to forgive. It's amazing what God will do. It's amazing what God does, the miracles that God does when we begin forgiving. I'm not going to lie to you. Forgiving is risky. 
There's vulnerability with it. Forgiving is risky business. It's like someone has a stick and they've hit you and you're getting ready to forgive them. And you forgive them, it can change everything. Or they could hit you again. Coming to someone who has hurt you and say, I forgive you, is horribly risky. They could take your forgiveness and throw it on the ground and stomp it. I'm not going to lie, that could happen. But it also might change things. This could also be the moment that changes everything. So I'm asking you to do one thing this week. Begin forgiving. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. If earthly fathers can forgive, like that man that we heard about that parable, how much more our Father in heaven? So begin forgiving. Stay in the process and pray. Bless you as you do it this week. Amen.